0: All right, everybody. It is Wednesday, March 29th, 2023. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mosh Wanunu.
1: And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts.
0: And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Uh, Jill, just a heads up for everyone listening. I'll be back on CNN. They've invited me back tonight, 10 p.m. Eastern time. So uh, check it out. I don't know what the topics are yet, but we'll see what they come up with.
1: Mosh, always a good sign that they invited you back.
0: They really like me, Jill. They just really like me. <laughs> what show is that from? Uh,
1: isn't that Sally Field?
0: That's right. That's Sally Field. Uh, I guess I'm dating myself here. That's Sally Field at the Oscars in 1985.
1: Mosh, that screams uh, on this day. You'll have to look up exactly the date that it happened. I'm on it. Okay, now to the headlines, though, some new details from Nashville, how the school shooter got seven guns and the chilling warning sent to friends ahead of time. Plus, where things stand when it comes to gun laws in this country. Dozens of migrants were killed after starting a fire to protest deportations near the U.S.-Mexico border. A federal judge says former Vice President Mike Pence must testify to the January 6th grand jury. In Congress, Republicans looking into the U.S. withdrawal of Afghanistan have subpoenaed the State Department. Some research shows that eczema could be caused by chemicals in the air that we breathe, what this means for possible treatments. And Apple is getting into the buy now, pay later trend with its own pay later service. Plus, Mosh has on this day in history. Mosh, what are you working on?
0: Jill, 40 years ago today, a big moment for the Rubik's Cube. And ever since then, some of us are still trying to figure it out.
1: All right, our top story. We are learning more about Monday's school shooting in Nashville. Police say that the person who opened fire in a Christian school Monday, killing three children and three adults, legally bought seven firearms from five different stores in recent years and hid the guns from their parents before the attack. Three of those guns were used in Monday's attack. That 28-year-old suspect, Audrey Hale, was a former student at the school. Police said that that shooter did not target specific victims. As for a motive, police say the shooter perhaps had resentment over having to go to the Covenant School. It's a Christian elementary school. Most this is why it is almost more frustrating sometimes to learn about the motive, as we mentioned yesterday there is nothing that could possibly justify killing six innocent people, especially young kids. It's like we're trying to find logic in a situation that defies it.
0: Yeah, what we're learning more and more over the last day was just the extent of the mental health issues that Audrey Hale was experiencing. Authorities, the police have noted, she was born biological female, uh, and gender identity or resentment or something related to it might've been uh, one of the contributing factors here Audrey identified it as a he-him in recent years, uh, and we'll get into it in this podcast. But it's clear, especially in the final hours, uh, the struggle that Hale was having uh, when it comes to mental health.
1: Authorities said Hale, not on their radar before the attack, but was under a doctor's care for an undisclosed emotional disorder. Police say Hale's parents didn't know that she had guns and could have intervened if they knew that their daughter was suicidal and had weapons. The parents told police that they knew that Hale had bought and sold one weapon and believed that that was it the police chief saying that the parents felt that their child should not own weapons. Apparently, there was also some type of warning. Before the attack on Monday, Hale sent messages to a friend saying, quote, something bad is about to happen, writing, you'll probably hear about me on the news after I die. That person, Avriana Patton, was a former middle school basketball teammate of Hale's, and she said that she alerted police and that they showed a lack of urgency Patton said she called the Suicide Prevention Helpline and then called 911 and was then told to call another police department's non-emergency number and was placed on hold for almost seven minutes. By then, it was too late. She was eventually promised a visit from an officer that came only five hours after the shooting.
0: Just heartbreaking. Patton uh, did an interview with one of the local stations uh, in uh, Tennessee there, Jill, and said that she literally just opened up her Instagram and found these direct messages coming from. Hale, not knowing exactly what Hale was planning, but obviously in a very desperate, desperate place. As for the police response here to the shooting, they're trying to make a point in Nashville that this was not a delayed response, like the situation in Uvalde, Texas last year. The mayor of Nashville, John Cooper, has praised the speed of the response. He said it was dealt with in less than 15 minutes. The Metro Nashville officers who located and then uh, were able to take out hail on the second floor, are named Rex Engelbert and Michael Colazzo. They posted body cam footage on a YouTube page on Tuesday. The mayor did an interview with CNN. He said the two officers were running into the gunfire and un- under a lot of gunfire as they tried desperately to take out hail. Nashville police also released other videos from the shooting, including edited surveillance footage that shows the shooter's car driving up to the school, the glass doors being shot out, and the shooter walking through the holes.
1: So the question that almost everybody listening to this story is probably thinking is how are we as a country going to stop these horrific shootings from happening over and over again? Well, President Biden told reporters at the White House that he has now gone to the full extent of his executive authority. He says, quote, Congress has to act. The majority of the American people want an assault weapons ban ban. He says, I cannot do anything except plead with Congress to act. Again, that's the president pushing for an assault weapons ban. Biden, as a senator, voted for the assault weapons ban in 1994, but that lapsed in 2004. Last year, Congress passed the first comprehensive gun legislation in decades. It expanded background checks for the youngest gun buyers, and it also put some money into mental health and violence intervention programs. But that was about the extent of it. As for state laws, in Tennessee, one of the Democratic state legislators condemned what he says has been a broad loosening of gun laws. He says in 2021, there was a law that allowed anybody over 18 to possess and carry weapons without training or even having a permit. John Ray Clemens, that is the legislator, he told CNN, quote, this is my ninth year in the state legislature and every single year a new piece of legislation comes forward that would shock the conscience of most people, What we need is gun sense. He says, we've been banning books up here, not guns. We make it harder to vote than to buy an AK. We allow permitless carry in Tennessee, and our governor had the gall to sign that bill at a Beretta manufacturing plant. That is a weapons manufacturer. Uh, He says, that's the climate. That is the uphill battle I am fighting.
0: Yeah, keep in mind here that in Tennessee, this school shooting is not expected to sway the needle in the state. Republicans control every major office there, governor, uh, the legislature, et cetera. And they face little serious opposition uh, from Democrats who call for stricter gun laws. A couple of years ago, the governor, Bill Lee, told religious leaders that he believed that if Tennesseans prayed to God to favor the state, God would answer those prayers, ranging from uh, diminishing the opioid epidemic to improving education in the state to avoiding school shootings. And the governor isn't indicating a change of opinion When it comes to that so far in the last 24 hours, should also note, Jill, that Tennessee does not have a red flag law, which allows police to take firearms away from people who threaten to kill. On Tuesday, the police chief in Nashville said the suspect uh, who you mentioned was under the care of a doctor for an emotional disorder. But no law is currently in place in the state that would have allowed authorities to confiscate weapons from Audrey Hale. We should also note the parents didn't know that she had bought all these weapons, the seven weapons that she had bought from those five different shops. Notably, another person who's getting a lot of attention for their comments in the past 24 hours is a Republican congressman who's in Washington. Tim Burchette is his name. He represents the Knoxville, Tennessee area. And he basically threw his hands up in the air. Uh, this soundbite is getting a lot of attention. We should keep in mind, Burchett has a top rating from the NRA, and this is how he reacted on the U.S. Capitol steps.
2: Three precious little kids lost their lives, and I believe three adults, I believe it, and, um, and the shooter, of course, lost their life too. So it's, it's a horrible, horrible situation, and we're not gonna fix it. Criminals are gonna be criminals, and my daddy fought in the Second World War, fought in the Pacific, fought the Japanese, and he told me, he said, buddy. He said, if somebody wants to take you out and doesn't mind losing their life, there's not a whole heck of a lot you can do about
1: it. Do you think there's any role for Congress to play to, in reaction to this tragedy? Obviously, this is your state now, sure. but it's happened in every other state.
2: It's is- happening, it doesn't matter what state it's happened in. It's we're all Americans. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. And they all bleed red, and, it's, and they're bleeding a lot. Um, I, I don't see any real role that we could do other than mess things up, honestly, because of the... Um, situation it's um uh, like i said i don't think a criminal is going to stop from guns you know you can print them out on the computer now 3d printing and there's really i, I don't think you're going to stop the gun violence i think you, you've got to change people's hearts you know as a christian as we talk about in the church and i've said this many times i think we really need revival in this country should be done with, to protect people like your little girlfriend being safe at school well, we homeschool it. But, you know, that's our decision. Some people don't have that option. And frankly, some people don't need to do it. I mean, they don't have to. Um, it just suited our needs much
0: better. So, Jill, that's the other end of the spectrum. There's people who are calling for change. And then you have people like Brachette who are like, what's the point? It uh, feels pretty resigned on the issue he has in the past. He's among the Republicans who say they support more mental health money but don't want to do anything about guns in particular and it appears right now he doesn't want to do anything about anything that's been frustrating i've been seeing a lot of comments uh on the instagram account about comments like that being like why do we send folks to washington if they're not going to do anything about it but it does represent a faction of the republican party that says that government should not get involved in our business and they go to washington to prevent washington from really doing anything that people should be free now when you look at polls, national polls, expanded background checks routinely receive 80 to 90% support in polling including a majority of gun owners and nationally for years now a majority of Americans say they support stricter gun laws. A Gallup poll that was conducted last June found that 55% were actually in favor of an assault weapons ban, uh, assault weapons as in military style rifles, and a majority of respondents also support other measures like raising the legal age at which people can purchase certain firearms. Keep in mind that 99.9% of shooters are male. And there's been mental health studies that show that the male frontal cortex is not fully developed until they're 25 years old. At the same time, as we've seen these jumps in demand or these polling increases around mass shootings, the numbers tend to level out the farther out you get from a notable mass shooting. Now, of course, we should mention that we're still only in March, and officially, according to the Gun Violence Archive, there have been 129 mass shootings, a mass shooting defined as a shooting in which four or more people are shot or wounded.
1: You know, the frustration, Mosh, is that fixing this problem is going to be really difficult, and there are loopholes, and, and there's always exceptions, and you could point to one example and say, well, if... You know that wasn't done by an assault weapon, or point to a different shooting and say, "Well, that person bought the gun legally and and had a background check, or whatever it is." But that isn't a reason not to do something,
0: right? I mean, when we talk about this, we're talking comprehensively, right? That that clearly here in this in this particular example on Monday in Nashville, there's an argument for up school security, right? They've already said, according to Hale's manifesto, that uh, they chose the target they chose because another target was too secure, okay. Then we know that in this case, we're dealing with a mental health situation. So that leads to questions about a red flag law, uh, states where the police can intervene if somebody has mental health issues and take away their weapons. That, of course, assumes, one, the family knows they have weapons, and two, that the family is alerting law enforcement to that. And then you have the larger gun control issue. And this is nuanced, right? Because officially we do have federal background checks in this country, but it turns out that only 40% of guns sold in America are sold through a licensed dealer. There's a huge loophole, which is, if I resell my gun to you, that's a private sale, no background check. And so ultimately, there's been a lot of talk in recent years about closing that loophole to ensure that private sales uh, require background checks. And there's been a lot of pushback there, including from the gun lobby and Republican legislators. So over time, we went through this whole discussion out of Uvalde last year And and they were able to get some gun legislation through, but there are a lot of provisions that are being discussed, again, at the state level, at the federal level. Uh, Some of that is then adjudicated by the Supreme Court. We've certainly discussed that on this podcast. And then it's not just about the weapons. It's like, well, military-style weapons. Which weapons are we talking about? Are we talking about high-capacity magazines? Are we talking about the type of bullets? Because certain bullets kill more than others because they were designed for military purposes. So there's a lot of nuance here. There's a lot of levels here. So the whole idea that like it's it's a black or white situation of you're going to take away all my guns or not, it's not that, right? Even when we had the assault weapons ban from 94 to 04, there was no confiscation of previous military style rifles. There was just no sale of new rifles. And studies show that they did have a discernible impact on mass shootings. So again, it's a nuanced issue. There are shades of gray here, and we can discuss it on multiple levels whether you want to discuss the gun issue, the mental health issue, or the school security issue.
1: And the truth is, it probably requires a little bit of all of it.
0: Sure. But unfortunately, we live in a world where everything is black or white. Uh, You know, one side's like, you know, it's the answer to everything is a stealth weapons man. Okay, well, that's not necessarily true. That wouldn't have prevented the situation at Eastern High School. That wouldn't have prevented the situation in Denver last week. Now, it might have done something more about the situation in Nashville that we're talking about. At the same time, Some of the pushback from the right is, what's the point? I mean, you heard it from the previous congressman. Well, if you can save a single life, doesn't that matter? Uh, And why then have any laws if people are going to break it? Screw it. Let's have no laws because people are going to break those laws. So that would be the reverse argument there. So again, I can, you know, we can go through, Jill, each of the arguments of each of the sides here, but it requires adults having an adult conversation about an issue because right now, there are six families burying their innocent victims this week, including three nine-year-old children. So ultimately, if we're serious people in the richest country on earth, and we like to call ourselves the you know greatest gift of civilization, yada, 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 then let's live up to that and have a real conversation. Because ultimately, there's no one-size-fits-all solution here. Various countries have done various solutions. There was one mass shooting at a school in England 25 years ago, and they banned assault weapons. Since then, no mass shootings at schools. In Australia, they had a mass shooting again, two decades ago, assault weapons New Zealand, they had one at a mosque a couple years ago, assault weapons ban. Since then, no school shootings there anymore. Now, again, they don't have a Second Amendment there. They don't have a constitution in the in the same written the same way we have. But certainly there is evidence out there that a the comprehensive solution is certainly worth discussion. And again, it comes as we're also seeing mental health issues rocketing sky high so now you have a country with more guns than people with with sky high mental health issues it's a recipe for more of this unfortunately
1: this is the only country where this happens
0: on a regular basis like this yes
1: yeah i do want to mention the victims nine-year-old evelyn dickhouse a third grader her older sister, who's a fifth grader, breaking down in tears as she remembered her sibling saying, "I don't want to be an only child." Uh, heartbreaking. Mike Hill is a, was sixty one years old, a janitor at the school. William Kinney, another one of the kids that was killed, also nine years old. Catherine Coons, sixty years old, she'd worked at that school for seven years after moving to the area from Baton Rouge. Cynthia Peake, 61 years old, a substitute teacher in the school, and Hallie Scruggs, another one of the kids, just nine years old. Incomprehensible.
0: May their memories be a blessing. Uh, And one of the things that's notable here, too, Jill, those three children, all born after Newtown, all born after Sandy Hook.
1: It's not just the people who are killed or injured who are the victims, it's not just the, the people who witness the shootings who are victims. It's every kid and every parent who sends a kid to school. It's every kid who has to sit in a class and wonder, is there going to be a school shooting in my class? This is real trauma for kids. This is a whole generation living under the threat of shootings in schools. That, it, that's nuts.
0: Jill, I feel very privileged to have been born in 1982 and not have to have thought about a school shooting until Columbine happened in 1998. I was midway through high school at that point. And that freaked us all out and we had a national conversation about it. I mean, that was one school shooting and the conversation they had about Columbine and the change we talked about, et cetera. And now we live with it like it's a weekly thing, but I still, you know, probably a week or two after Columbine, I wasn't thinking about getting shot in my classroom because it felt like a one-off and that is not the reality for kids growing up today. All right, we have a lot more to get to in this podcast, including the speed read, but first I wanna thank a couple of our sponsors this week. I wanna start with Bowlin and Branch Sheets. We talk a lot on this podcast about sleep studies, the importance of getting your eight hours of sleep. And so we're so happy to be partnering with a brand that helps you do just that. It certainly has in my household, Bull and Branch Sheets. Bull is spelled, by the way, B-O-L-L. They offer sheets that are 100% traceable organic cotton. They get softer with every wash. We've had them now for nearly six months in our house. We actually just got another set and we've been loving them. Jill, I learned recently that Four American presidents have used Bull and Branch Sheets. So you have that endorsement right there. And they're offering right now a special deal to the Mo News community with a 30 night risk free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all U.S. orders. And so right now, Mo News listeners can have early access to their spring sale, 20% off using the code Mo News, M O N E W S, to get 20% off today at bullandbranch.com. That is Bull and Branch, B O L L A N D. B-R-A-N-C-H, bullandbranch.com, promo code MONEWS. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
1: And Mosh, we talk nostalgia on this podcast quite a bit. And one thing that many of us look back fondly on is the cereals that we used to eat from back in the day. Well, Magic Spoon Cereal has joined us as a partner and has replicated some of those flavors in a more wholesome way. Their peanut butter, frosty, cocoa, and fruity flavors are all the hit. You can have the nostalgia in a low-carb way. Great thing, though, is that they are also gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and no sugar. And Magic Spoon is a special deal right now for the Mo News community. Go to magicspoon.com slash News to grab a variety pack and try it today. The U.S. promo code is Mo News M-O-N-E-W-S. At checkout, you'll save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund you your money. No questions asked. Remember, you can get your next delicious bowl of high protein cereal at magicspoon.com slash monews and use the code monews to save $5. Okay, time now for the speed read from USA Today. More than three dozen migrants have died in a fire in a dormitory at an immigration detention center in northern Mexico, right near the U.S. border. Mexico's president said that the fire was started by migrants inside of the facility as a way to protest after learning that they would be deported. It happened late Monday at a facility in Ciudad Juarez, just south of El Paso, Texas. At least 39 people died. Twenty nine were injured. Now, tensions between authorities and migrants had apparently been running high in recent weeks in that city. The shelters are full of people waiting to either cross into the U.S. or who have requested asylum and are just waiting out the process. So
0: this is a major crossing point for migrants right now entering the U.S. That facility, by the way, has been described as overcrowded and filthy. Witnesses described harsh treatment by guards, women sleeping in hallways, dining halls with rats, cockroaches, uh, et cetera. And it comes, Jill, as the border continues to get increased scrutiny given the record numbers and migrant encounters that we've seen in recent years. In just the past two years since Biden took over and things opened up uh, due to COVID, encounters have hit record highs including 250,000 migrant encounters in December alone. Now, that number fell off 40% in recent months down to February. The administration, the uh, Department of Homeland Security Secretary, Alexander Mayorkas, and the Biden administration saying that they've enacted some new enforcement measures. Actually, they're getting some criticism from Democrats and progressives for being too aggressive on the border. uh, And that has led to a decrease in the number of migrants still at record highs, and there typically is a surge in the spring. Of course, it comes as some of the measures that have been used in the past couple of years uh, are elapsing now that the uh, COVID emergency is over. So that is something that bears watching in the coming months. There were some fireworks on Capitol Hill on Tuesday as Ted Cruz was yelling at the uh, Homeland Security Secretary. I'll post some of that Wednesday on the Instagram feed with a further breakdown of the situation on the border.
1: From ABC News, the top federal judge has ruled that former Vice President Mike Pence must testify before a grand jury investigating efforts to overturn the 2020 election And January 6th. The federal district court in D.C. rejected former President Trump's assertion of executive privilege to prevent his former number two from having to testify. D.C. Chief Judge James Bosberg ordered that Pence should have to provide answers to special counsel Jack Smith on any questions that implicate any illegal acts on Trump's part. The judge's ruling came just four days after Trump and Pence's lawyers appeared at the district court to argue their challenge to the subpoena from the special counsel. It was not immediately clear whether Trump or Pence's legal teams are planning to appeal the rulings.
0: Yeah, this could go up uh, the courts here to the appeals court, to and Supreme Court potentially. I mean, the big issue that keeps coming up here in multiple cases is that Trump and the previous White House want to insist they still have executive privilege on their conversations. And the courts, including the conservative majority Supreme Court, have said, no, 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 executive privilege is for when you're currently president, not when you're a former president. So it'll be notable here whether this fight continues. Clearly, Pence does not want, especially as Pence is running for president and needs to win a Republican primary, to be out there testifying negative things about his former boss. A reminder, as we talk about the special counsel investigations, there's multiple ones right now. There is the Joe Biden classified records special counsel. Then there's a special counsel in this case, the counsel you mentioned, Jack Smith, who's investigating both Trump on January 6th, 2020 election, as well as the classified records. And then there's our favorite special counsel, Joe, the special counsel investigating the investigation. This special counsel, Jack Smith, who's investigating both the 2020 election as well as the classified records appears to really be uh, bringing more urgency to the investigation in the last few weeks. And clearly here, he's making a push to talk directly to Pence about his conversations with Trump. Uh, Again, if it goes to multiple appeals here, this could be far off. And it comes, Jill, as today, Wednesday, look out for potential news from Manhattan with the grand jury potentially could indict Trump on the whole Stormy Daniels hush money thing as soon as today, but we were expecting that last week. It didn't happen. So we'll continue to monitor that today and tomorrow.
1: Meanwhile, some scrutiny for the current White House from the newspaper The Hill. The House Foreign Affairs Committee has served Secretary of State Antony Blinken with a subpoena for classified documents related to the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan in 2021. The subpoena has to do with a memo issued by U.S. diplomats in Kabul. That memo warned that the Afghan government was at risk of collapse if the U.S. was to exit. It marks a significant escalation in the GOP probe of how the Biden administration handled the U.S. withdrawal. The Republican chairman of the committee, Representative Mike McCall, said that the panel made multiple good faith attempts to find common ground with the secretary of state to allow lawmakers to see what's called a dissent cable sent to the State Department leadership in July of 2021. McCall saying, unfortunately, Blinken has refused to provide the dissent cable and his response to the cable, forcing me to issue my first subpoena as chairman of the committee.
0: Yeah, so the State Department here is claiming that they offered to brief lawmakers about the cable uh, behind closed doors. They argue that supplying lawmakers with the documents themselves could have a chilling effect inside the State Department. Now, what we're talking about here is this private channel, and it basically gives, it's an anonymous tip line inside the State Department that gives diplomats basically carte blanche to be like, guys, uh, everything you're doing in Washington sucks right now, or this is about to break. Et cetera, et cetera, The idea is that it is a place for people inside the State Department to uh, be completely open and honest. And the concern the State Department has here is that by uh, handing over the memo, you could end up publicizing the names of the people and that people, that diplomats in the future will be reluctant to use this anonymous tip line to be frank and open and honest in the future if this cable is publicized. And that's the nature of the fight here. But we've known for a while how disastrous that withdrawal was. The Republicans were going to grill the Biden administration on this. The State Department says that they've conducted numerous briefings for lawmakers, that they've provided uh, multiple sensitive cables related to that withdrawal in August 2021 that went awry. Obviously, there was the explosion, uh, the dead Marines, etc. And so the State Department says, we've done everything we can. Republicans say, not so fast. The stuff you've provided is so redacted, redacted meaning like blocking out every other word or every word, that they're basically useless to us. So we need to be able to see these memos, we need to do due diligence, we need to find out what went wrong with the summer 2021 withdrawal that led to that disaster that we watched unfold.
1: From the Wall Street Journal, the issues keep adding up for former crypto billionaire Sam Bankman-Fried. Federal prosecutors unveiled yet another indictment yesterday that charged the FTX founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, with conspiring to pay off Chinese government officials Freed was trying to restore his access to frozen accounts containing more than a billion dollars in cryptocurrency. The attempted payoff is a violation of U.S. anti-bribery law. The new indictment is the third that Bankman fried is facing since the collapse of his FDX crypto exchange late last year. This one alleges that back in 2021, the 31-year-old CEO authorized bribing one or more Chinese government officials with at least $40 million in cryptocurrency as a way to regain access to accounts that China had frozen as part of their continuing investigation. The trading accounts held more than a billion dollars on two of China's largest crypto exchanges. Bankman-Fried directed employees to pay the bribe after months of failed attempts to regain control of the accounts. This is according to the indictment. The accounts were unfrozen at the time that a first illicit payment was made. Bankman-Fried then authorized an additional payment of tens of millions of dollars to complete the bribe. This guy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Jill, the issues just keep adding up here. He now faces, for those keeping score at home, 13 different charges overall in three different indictments. They first charged him back in December for stealing billions from FTX customer funds, in addition to misleading investors and lenders. Then there was a second indictment in February with new allegations, including conspiracy to commit bank fraud, operating an, uh, an unlicensed money transmitting business. And then you have the indictment here related to bribing Chinese officials. You know, what's so interesting, Jill, is there is a lot that goes on into what American companies have to do to operate inside China that we probably don't know much about. But because Bankman Freed was so kind of haphazard about it, we have a sense of things. But there is a lot in certain countries that companies have to do or use middle people to try to get access. But that's notwithstanding here, the issue here is FTX. And so you have the three indictments, 13 different charges, Before these charges came out, by the way, he was already facing 155 years in prison should he be convicted. Uh, At the same time, these new charges, it does not appear that he will be put behind bars anytime soon as he awaits a trial. He's still under home detention in Palo Alto at his parents' house under a couple hundred million dollars of uh, bond.
1: From NBC News, eczema's cause could be in the air we breathe. Chemicals that spew from vehicle exhaust and are used to make a variety of common products from spandex to memory foam mattresses could cause eczema in infancy. This is according to some new research from the National Institutes of Health. Researchers say they've got solid data establishing that pollutants are very likely behind the increasing cases of atopic dermatitis, which is more commonly known as eczema. If you are not familiar, it is an incredibly itchy, inflammatory skin condition that affects more than 31 million Americans. But what causes eczema in the first place has been a mystery. Genetics play a role, but the incidence of eczema has risen two to three times in industrialized countries since the 1970s, leaving experts convinced that something in the environment is behind the dramatic increase. So the team turned to eczema hotspots around the country. There were places where clinics were treating higher numbers of eczema patients and they studied toxins in the surrounding environment. They found similar chemicals called disocyanates and isocyanates to be most prevalent.
0: So Jill, it appears that the uh, disocyanates that you mentioned are almost everywhere. They're used in manufacturing processes uh, for polyurethane products, adhesives, flexible foams, fabrics uh, that are especially designed to be stretchy and weather-resistant. But there's another issue that came up, and it had to do with exhaust fumes from cars. And there's a belief there that they may also be driving eczema rates over the course of the past few decades. One of the things they've zeroed in on is catalytic converters. Catalytic converters uh, are on all vehicles. Uh, They became mandatory after 1975, and they're meant to eliminate many of the harmful chemicals found in gasoline. But in that process, they produce the isocyanates you mentioned As a byproduct. So there's some good to the catalytic converters, but it appears to be a downside here in terms of what they produce as they cleanse the gasoline, so to speak. So these findings related to these two chemicals out there were published uh, earlier this year in the journal Science Advances. And they go into details here in the journal article about how they linked the chemicals to eczema using mice and bacterial cultures. They found that the chemicals uh, that are out there affect the skin's microbiome in two different ways. They force healthy, protective bacteria to stop making oils that moisturize the skin. And then while they're doing that, they're also activating a receptor on your skin that sends signals to the brain to induce itch and inflammation. So two major issues here that's happening from these chemicals as they hit your skin. The research here, they call it very exciting, according to one of the study's authors, and it could help lead to new treatments. The team actually studied whether spraying a type of healthy bacteria onto your skin could reduce eczema flares, and they actually isolate this bacteria from the microbiomes of healthy people who don't have eczema. They found that most people in this initial study had a modest or sustained improvement when they uh, applied this new treatment, and the effect actually was even more dramatic in people who live in areas where one of these chemicals, diocyanate, levels are even higher. So uh, they seem to be pretty positive here, Jill, that they've isolated here some of the issues related to eczema.
1: Most this is particularly interesting for me because my daughter not only has eczema, which can get really, really bad, and it's just so uncomfortable for her, but she also has food allergies, as I've talked about on this podcast before. And like eczema, there's been this huge increase in how many people now have food allergies just in the past few decades. It's up to one in 13 kids or two in each classroom, which was not the case when you and I were growing up. And there are some theories, but there's not a known reason for the increase. But we do know that having eczema is one of the high risk factors for developing food allergies. So I am curious if this research is gonna have any implications for the food allergy community.
0: You know, so interesting, Jill, I was in Cuba a few years ago And if you're around those old pre-catalytic converter cars, it's like hard to breathe, especially if you're kind of in a convertible, et cetera, and you're breathing those emissions. And you're just like, oh my God, how did people live in the 50s and 60s with these cars? And so we have these new modern cars with much less in the way of kind of like make you cough muffler smoke coming out. But it turns out that uh, something that you're not smelling and breathing is having impact on you. So as we learn more about the environment and all these various technologies, Uh, Clearly here, there could be some implications down the road for how we build uh, cars, especially as we kind of enter the electric vehicle space.
1: From CNBC, Apple on Tuesday introduced Apple Pay Later. It lets users split purchases into four payments spread over the course of six weeks. Apple Pay Later users will be able to manage, track and repay their loans in their Apple wallet Individuals can apply for Apple Pay later loans between $50 and $1,000 and then use them for in app and online purchases made through merchants that accept Apple Pay. Payments will have no interest and no fees. Apple says users can apply for a loan within the Apple Wallet app without it impacting their credit score. Now, according to Apple's press release, once they select the amount that they would like to withdraw, A soft credit poll will be conducted to make sure they are in good financial position to take on a loan. The service not available to everybody just yet. Approved users will see a pay later option while using Apple Pay to check out online and in apps on iPhones or iPads. And they'll also be able to apply for a loan right at checkout.
0: This has been in the works for quite a while. According to the website The Verge, Apple launched a credit card in partnership with Goldman Sachs back in 2019. But this buy now, pay later offering marks the first time that Apple is actually going to be handling the financial side of things by itself. And despite Apple's focus on, quote unquote, financial health, these buy now, pay later programs, you might have heard of Klarna, Afterpay, Affirm, have all come under fire in the past for potentially harming customers. Jill, this is the bane of existence for financial advisors, financial experts who just see this as another ploy by companies to put people further into debt, especially you Gen Zers and Millennials. Last year, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau identified several areas of risk of consumer harm, including a risk of debt accumulation as buy now, pay later is engineered to, quote, encourage consumers to purchase more and borrow more. All right, now time for On This Day in History on this March 29th. 50 years ago today, March 29th, 1973, American involvement in Vietnam was officially over with the last U.S. troops leaving the country. All right, a bit of uh, musical history here. On this day in 1956, the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical, The King and I, some of you might be familiar with it and its classic music. It had been extremely successful on Broadway. It officially, on this day, made it to the big screen with Yule Brenner as The King, The King and I, a, a classic film there, Jill. All right, let's fast forward to a little bit of political history here. Jill, you might remember this soundbite from 31 years ago today.
1: I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale and never tried it again.
0: Jill, that is then Arkansas Governor Bill Clinton at the height of the presidential campaign admitting that he tried marijuana, but no worries. He didn't inhale. (laughs) It was a quaint time back then. Of course, fast forward to the 2000s when Obama was running, he admitted he's like, no, I smoked weed and I actually inhaled. Back then, the early 90s presidents, at least Bill Clinton at the time, didn't feel that he could admit he inhaled for whatever that's worth. And one final piece of on this day history 40 years ago today, happy 40th birthday to the Rubik's Cube. Erno Rubik was granted his patent for his magic cube on this day in 1983.
1: And they've been torturing us ever since.
0: Jill, how close have you gotten to solving one of those?
1: Not at all close. I I, I don't even know. I mean, not even like zero progress.
0: Zero progress. My brain doesn't work that way. These next 40 years, you'll get there. I have
1: hopes. (laughs) All right, everybody. A huge thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow.
0: Don't forget to follow us over on the Instagram at the Mo News account, at Mosh, at M O S H E H. Thanks to all of you for the follows uh, and messages over there, and also for the great reviews. As Jill mentioned, the reviews matter. So if you take a moment today on Apple or Spotify uh, and review us, that will help this podcast keep growing. Bye, everybody. See ya.
2: Thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast.